Howdy, folks. Quick little intro for this episode about Jennifer's body. Yeah. We got a couple things. First of all, I want to let you know that uh, that this episode was actually accidentally released for just like 10 or 15 minutes of the week of the cat's meow. Uh, so 19 people downloaded it and heard it without what makes it so good, which is the interview with Jen Brown of Genre Graveyard and Women in Caskets who joins us partway through this, or who joins me for an interview partway through this, to dissect our dissection of Jennifer's body. <laughs> it's very horror-like. <laughs> yes. It's good. It's good that we have her, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think so, too. And I think, and if anyone who, any of those 19 people, if you came out of it being like, what do those straight white dudes know about Jennifer's body? Well, we, that's why we brought in a guest to kind of take us to task and to, you know, make sure that we uh, have the right thing said about this movie. <laughs> yeah, she's an expert in <laughs> horror and yeah. in Jennifer's bodies, being yeah. that she has yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I am not, I'm just, I'm really not good at podcasting. I, as you'll hear throughout <laughs> this episode, I pretty much get everyone's name wrong that I could possibly get wrong. <laughs> Uh, and I, I tried to to salvage it afterwards. I, I may not be good at this, but I am I, I am creative in turning my mistakes into I hope something that brings you a smile. Uh, what did you think about that, Brian? I think it's. Uh, can I say what what you do? Can I say well, it? Well, you know, you, away? Do, do you want to surprise? Don't don't spoil it for I me. Maybe you can it. say it without I, saying it. Um. I it's a, I think it's made a new kind of episode, and I feel like we should intentionally do something like this again. It's it makes it a little more special. I feel like it's a little a little extra flavor. I, I really enjoy it. So we need to say people's names uh, incorrectly more often, uh, right, Andras? <laughs> Uh, yes, I I always say your name right, Brian, but I spell it in my head, Brian, like John Brian, B R I O N. Whenever I. You know. So uh, I am, it's sort of like I'm, I, I, I it's sort of like putting the, the the middle finger up behind your hand so nobody can see it. You don't know it, but I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I'm spelling it wrong in my brain. Uh, but yes, uh, some people do call me Andres. Funny, actually, I think Jen that almost gets my name wrong sometimes, but that's fine. Uh, yeah. You know, it's fine for her, but not for me. Anyway, folks, uh, sorry about that. And I hope you enjoy it. And also, as far as mistakes go, this episode was recorded a little bit out of time. It was supposed to originally come in right after our month of Kidmania, but then the month of Noscaring just got bigger. Yeah, just got bigger and bumped this a month ahead. So if you hear us referring to last week, it's really last month. So just to be clear, the episode came out at the wrong time. I pronounce a bunch of the names wrong. The dates are wrong. And the only thing that's right about this whole episode is Jen Brown has joined, is going to join us. So uh, get ready for uh, our episode about Jennifer's body. Radio 8 Ball. 
Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8 Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Jennifer's body? <laughs> Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And my name is Brian Connolly, and I'm also a host. That makes two hosts for you, folks. Ain't that a bargain? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. People people were missing you the last two episodes, but we, we, we did close out the Destroyer. We had a little a little teaser of your voice, but you're back. You're back and ready to explore Jennifer's body. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited too. I never thought I would be exploring Jennifer's body. Uh, yeah, I'm so lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is gonna. It's gonna be. It, it, they must have intentionally thought of this title just to make us sound like total creeps. Like any any guy trying to talk about it, being like, "Yeah, I saw Jennifer's body last night. Pretty good." Or I saw Jennifer's body last night. Not for me. This makes me sound like an asshole. Uh, <laughs> I hate Jennifer's body. I love Jennifer's body. I'm really into Jennifer's body. It, yeah, it's like a it's like a creepy Mad Lib. This movie. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna get into talking about this, but like, just let's lay out a, let's lay out a few ground rules, okay? So, first of all, we need to acknowledge that we are not the audience for this film. I liked it. And we're going to be talking about it. You you appreciated it, and we're, we're going to have some conversation about it. But no matter what we, we say about this film, there are better podcasts to listen to talking about Jennifer's body, usually hosted by women. And if you there are a bunch of them out there, I highly recommend checking out one of those podcasts. But that doesn't mean we don't have thoughts about it. So we just needed to make that really clear. Yeah. You cool with that? Yes. <laughs> The other thing that's important to know is that uh, Brian and I are both from Olympia, Washington, which is the birthplace of Riot Girl, and I'm going to be referencing this shared background mightily for this episode, which means that Brian and I are likely to sound both obscure and insufferable. And believe us, we're aware of this, but uh, in order to talk about this film, it's kind of unavoidable. So uh, as long as you can put up with us... We are happy to accept your uh, cringing judgments of our efforts. <laughs> so why should we talk about Jennifer's body?
doing? Wait a second, I just thought of something. Jenny. Jenny, you're the girl for me. Now, you don't know me, but you make me so happy. I tried to call you before, but I lost my nerve. I used my imagination, but I was disturbed. Jenny, I've got your number. I need to make you mine. Jenny, don't change your number. here, aren't I? I mean, they did go all Benihana on my ass with that knife, and it should have killed me, but for some reason, it didn't. Maybe it did. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it now. Say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, So, to me, Jennifer's body is the film that fulfills on the promise of the name of the Riot Girl band Bikini Kill. Megan Fox doesn't wear a bikini, but she is used to tempt the male gaze and kill it in this film that, to me, makes her a bikini killer, if not a Riot Girl, which I would say she definitely isn't. (laughs) I watched Jennifer's Body the night after watching Under the Skin, And the two films are definitely exploring similar territory, thematically at least, and that will also uh, inform this conversation. So the film, in brief, is pretty simple. Jennifer's Body is a film about the friendship between a, quote, hot girl played by Megan Fox. Is it Megan Fox or Megan Fox? I think it's just Megan. Megan Fox. And a nerdy girl played by Amanda Seyfried. At the beginning of the movie, the hot girl, who is also mean and not very smart, gets in a van with an emo pop band fronted by Adam Brody, and the next time we see her, she has a taste for boys. Literally. From then on, she, or the demon who has inhabited her, learns to feed and love the vessel of Jennifer's body, while her friend and the hero of the film, played by Seyfried, tries to figure out what's going on and how to save or kill her friend. Now, that's the story, but what makes this film so exciting is the swaggering way it takes out its vengeance on boy culture, with writer Diablo Cody coming off of Juno, director Karen Kujama coming off the thrilling failure of Aeon Flux. It's Kusama. After breaking through with Girl Fight and all these talented young actors working around the cinematic weapon that is Megan Fox, it's a film that is so confident in pushing the buttons it's pushing that it raises some great questions even beyond those it may have intended. And that, my friends, is Jennifer's body. Good job. (laughs) Thanks. So... How is the world wrong about this movie? Oh, boy. Oh, girl. All people. Uh, it's uh, so many ways. Well, well, first of all, I'll just say I had never even heard of this movie. Really? And I 
I never pay. I'm not a horror guy. I've never paid attention. To, I don't think I'd ever seen a Megan Fox film before. It just completely went under my radar. Had no idea about it. And I only came across it when I was doing my research on Karen Kujama for Destroyer. It's Kusama. And it just, I just, it just bowled me over. So I have to imagine that there are plenty of other people who that's the case for. Mm-hmm. Now there's the whole, there's also this whole story in listening to podcasts about it where they, the the whole release was really messed up because you know how at the beginning of this, I said this film, we're not the audience for this film, but the people who put it out, <laughs> but that's what thought they thought. We were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, were they like, thought this will be any dude yeah. who thinks Megan Fox is hot. This is the movie you want to see. Which is crazy because that means you're making the audience for the villains of this or the people in this movie that get killed by Jennifer, basically. And so, like, of course, when it came out, it had this insanely low audience score because they were trying to market it to, like, boys age 17 to 30. Because, like, oh, you love Transformers movies. You love Maxim Magazine. You're going to love Jennifer's body. This movie written by a woman and directed by a woman and about, like, feminist ideas. Nope. Yeah. And so like every guy's like D minus, C minus, F, no, not for me. And it and it wasn't until recently that people like that people started to find this movie like you. Like I, I really like you're not the first friend that told me that they love this movie. Like in the last year I've had many people uh just like friends just being like, Oh my god, I didn't know about this. I didn't even hear about this movie. And they really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well so that so that's that's another area where people are wrong about it. But I think that the well, I'll tell you. So after I watched it, I got really excited, and I had conversations with three of my favorite people to talk about movies with, and all three of them, all three of them are guys. Sorry, sorry, ladies. It's it's not because I don't want to talk to you. It's because you don't want to talk to me. If you wanted to talk to me about films, I'd be down. Uh, but but uh, all three of them had like immediately had very strong reactions to Diablo Cody, who wrote it. It's Diablo. It wasn't like, oh, I ha- I've seen that film. I don't like it. It's I haven't seen that film. And I don't think I'm going to because I hate Diablo Cody. It's Diablo. She is attached to it. And there's something about her that is divisive yeah and that immediately makes her very interesting to me particularly i feel that way particularly with writers more than actors probably even more than directors because act because writers it's so much about a voice yeah and there's so much writing for film that is just sort of cookie cutter Mm -hmm. and doesn't have a personality so if you are able to express a personality that is that specific and defined, like whether you're Charlie Kaufman or Woody Allen or Diablo Cody. It's Diablo. Or a Nora Ephron or Quentin Tarantino. You're going to have people who really don't like it. Yeah. And you're going to have people like me who are just hungry for that. (laughs) Yes. So... Diablo Cody is going to be a big figure in our conversation. You got that one right. 
good job. Uh, this was her follow-up to Juno, which really put her on the map. And again, was another film that was divisive. But the success of it, you can feel the confidence in the writing in this one. I think everyone who was who was involved in this really thought that they were doing something special. Yeah. And they did. And I guess that's the real world is wrong thing about it, is that to do something that is so unique and assured and have it really be you know, hobbled before it even gets released and then to have that release just sort of be a nothing for what you in terms of what you were intending yeah it makes it pure world is wrong fodder yeah so hate to out you here brian but you were one of the people (laughs) i was talking with and you had you have some critiques of diablo cody it's diablo also you're a screenwriter yourself and so i'm sure you judge her as a fellow professional i know that as a songwriter i judge songwriters as a songwriter Whereas as a screenwriter, I've only written one screenplay. So anyone who can who can do that, I'm kind of impressed by, I, you know, I don't ha- I haven't written 50 screenplays or as many as you have. And so I don't judge it the same way. But what is what's your take generally on Diablo Cody? It's Diablo. Hold on, my dog's barking again. <laughs> I think because she's a big fan of this movie. And so yeah. she's... Uh... <laughs> Being like, hey, She's don't cut. <laughs> um, well, it's just like what you said with these other writers is like when writers have a very unique voice, sometimes they connect and sometimes they don't. Like I, I'm a huge David Mamet fan, but I have a lot of friends that hate, hate the way David Mamet writes. Can't stand it. Doesn't mean he's any less of a writer. It just means it's not for you. It's it's really like you're tapping into, like bands. Like it's like if someone says they don't like. You know, like Elvis Costello, I'll disagree with you, but I mean, it just means it wasn't for you, you know? So, like, there's nothing I can do about that for you. It's your taste, you know? But I think I just, there's something about the constant, it's weird because my complaint for her is is not my problem with Quentin Tarantino, but in a way it's similar of like that constant pop culture stuff with with Diablo Cody for some reason bothers me. Like when they call each other Vagisil or just sort of like the, uh, you know, just the way that like Megan Fox's character talks in this movie or like the way in Juno, the way the characters are con- like talking about, I don't know, like the weird rhyming in it. For some reason, it just doesn't connect to me. I don't know why, because I like other movies that do that. Like I'm certainly not a, against, you know, very stylistic writing, but there's just like, or maybe I just don't think it's funny because I know a lot of it's supposed to be funny. And for whatever reason, that the kind of comedy that she writes isn't funny to me. Like, I remember watching the trailer for Juno and all the stuff that Rain Wilson was saying. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't really understand. But other people, it's like, it reminded me of when I watched Napoleon Dynamite. I know people that love that movie. And I saw it in a theater full of people that were like losing their mind with how funny that was and how much they liked the dialogue. And it just did not connect to me. There was something about it that I did not... It just it wasn't for me. I can tell it's like, this is not for me, this movie. It's for somebody else. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, in the same way that... Well, Tarantino is a great example. I totally understand why some people don't like it. You know? Yeah. There's certainly things he does that 
are alienating in his writing. Yeah. Whether it's being referential to things you don't know or using racial epithets that he probably shouldn't. I mean, I don't want to tell him. I don't want to say he shouldn't because I don't want to ever tell an artist what they should or shouldn't do. But I don't think I would. I think a lot of people wouldn't, and a lot, of, and it certainly it raises a barrier to entry for some people. And I think that's the case with Diablo, Diablo Cody. Yeah. I, in terms of what you're describing, for me, again, even though I, it's not for me, I loved it. I loved that stuff. I loved. I actually, the one screenplay I wrote was about. Uh, was about a band of women, and I tried to get the tone. I actually tried to make them sound... I didn't know I was trying to make them sound like Diablo Cody characters. It's Diablo. And let me tell you, it doesn't... That that writing doesn't... That style of writing doesn't work if you're if there's a man's name on the, on the page. <laughs> so... And that might be the kind of thing that would make me have some sour grapes or be hostile to Diablo Cody. It's Diablo. But in my case, it doesn't. It's just sort of like, oh, cool. Someone, at least someone can get away making women talk like that in a film. And so that's great. And it actually, even though for me, my experience with that screenplay was a negative one in terms of the response, there was something about watching this that validated. I was like, oh, okay, well, a lot of the things that I did in this, in my script, that people rebelled against or thought were offensive are happening here. So it may not have been good, but at least it wasn't offensive. So thank you, Diablo <laughs> Cody. It's Diablo. For liberating me that way. And we'll get more to, to talking about Diablo Cody as we go on. It's Diablo. The other thing about this, and this is just sort of in our process, is we have been planning on doing a Brown Bunny episode, and that's going to be next week. And since that film is going to necessitate a discussion, and in some cases a celebration of Vincent Gallo's toxic masculinity... I thought this would be a good opportunity to explore toxic femininity. <laughs> and personally, I just want to say, I don't really like the idea of using the word toxic to describe people or behaviors. So I'm kind of tongue in cheek about that. But I feel like using it as a overall term for this makes it better because it's sort of like, as someone who loves Brown Bunny, I want to welcome the critiques of what appears toxic to people who don't relate to it in that movie and vice versa. If there are things that come across as toxic to me, who this film or me or you, who this film isn't made for in Jennifer's body, I feel like it's good for that film to be open. Like it's sort of a general openness to the idea that if a film isn't made for you, the people who it's made for should be open to the idea that there's a reason why the film that you love might hurt someone else if they watched it. Mm -hmm. And I've, that's how I want to approach Jennifer's Body in the one sense, to broaden the critique, but also to start off by inviting in this destroyer, bikini killer goddess to, uh, I don't know, basically to 
defend the members of our audience who might be annoyed with our next episode. <laughs> and and if we can do justice to Jennifer's body, then maybe they can listen as we try and do justice to Brown Bunny. And I think if there was a crossover, Jennifer would totally murder and eat Vincent Gallo's character from Bra- from Brown Bunny. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's something I want to talk about. So this is so. Let's get in. Okay. So let's let's get into talking about this film now. So Karen Kujama. It's Kusama. Have you seen any of her other films? I've seen Eon Flux, which was fine. It looked great. Yeah, it was a great looking. It was a great looking yeah. movie. It is a great looking movie, but it's one of those films where. She went from directing this really cool, gritty first film of Girl Fight that looks like, I don't know, maybe they spent a million dollars on it. I don't know. I could look it up. Maybe it's less. Maybe it's more. But it just doesn't look like a big movie. It's a gritty little character drama that's people in rooms talking and fighting. And then she went right on to Anne Flux, this massive superhero, like not really superhero. What is it? I don't know, sci-fi kind of superhero-ish kind of movie. And it just seemed like it was a little bit... I don't want to say there was too much for her, but I just feel like that's sort of too much for anyone to go from making this film that you had total control over how it was made to being a part of this big machine and being told that you're in charge, but you're not really in charge because... You know, because you're not qualified to be in charge of a special effects department when you've never done special effects before, right? Things like that. No, no knock on her. But then that she fought. I love that this is the follow up of like someone saying, okay, well, let's go back to doing something that I know how to do and take everything that I learned from Aeon Flux and bring that to this genre film. One thing, I don't know if you noticed it at the beginning, but. It's it's in the it's in keeping with the humor of the film and talking about it is maybe why this film isn't meant for us. But the movie starts with the with a basically a bunch of holes, images of, you know, a very uh, yonic uh, nature. So like there's this (laughs) they have this waterfall, but the waterfall is just this hole in the ground. And then you cut to a shot and you see this uh, this tire swing hole and then you're in Jennifer's room and she's watching these people on exercise and they're showing their butts with that which have holes in them and then you cut to Jennifer's mouth and she's chewing on her hair another hole and then you see her from the bed looking up and it's just sort of like this is a very uh riot girly vaginal entrance to our film of Jennifer's body did you pick up on that? I did not. <laughs> not. I guess I'm not looking for holes. I don't know. But you, you yeah. picked up well, on it. So good for you. <laughs> this was the third, my third watch. And so this was the one where I was really watching for the filmmaking. But there's just something about that. Like it's throughout the film. There is, there is some real filmmaking going on and a lot of thought. What did you think of Karen Kujama's work on it? It's Kusama. Just in general, as how the film looks and how the film plays out besides the script. Uh, it's a very assured f- filmmaking. It's very much like it has a style. It has, it doesn't feel like, like this movie does not feel like other 
horror slasher movies of the time. Like, it doesn't feel like just a generic run-of-the-mill horror movie. Like, there definitely is someone behind it that's got a point of view. And, like, I really liked the end credits showing more stuff during the end credits. Like, so if you see this movie, we're, and we're just yeah. going to spoil it, so watch it before you see it. But, like, I love that this movie ends, but then it doesn't end. That during the credits, it, still, it shows you a whole other big chapter of this story that would have been the end of any other movie that could have been how the movie ended but instead they decided to show you just weird snippets of it through the end credits which i thought was great like so that's like that's different than like just some straight to red box horror slasher or whatever like this it's definitely got more of a point of view and actually when you read the critic reviews of this movie from the time it was it was exactly split like you think it would be. Like half of them are like, "What the fuck is this?" and the other half like it all pretty much. And all of them, including Ebert, who liked this movie, who he normally hates the movies that we talk about on this, but he actually liked this one. He gave it three stars. All the critics who liked this movie compare it to Twilight, which came out the year before this, and they're like, "Ah, Twilight is like this horror movie with teenagers." And it's such garbage <laughs> and it's just like, it's so flat and it's just like, it's kind of sexist and you just, you just don't, you just, you hate it. Just, it's not good. And finally, here's a movie that like is a refreshing version of a horror film with teenagers or for teenagers that isn't Twilight. And they all say that they all quote Twilight as like the opposite of this movie for those that liked this movie. And I think that's kind of. I don't know. I think that's necessarily fair because I think they're very different movies. Oh yeah. But like, yeah, this movie has more of a, like you can tell this is a filmmaker that isn't just getting hired to make some movie or hoping to make some money or hoping to make this as a launching pad. Like, Oh, like a lot of horror is usually used as a gateway for a lot of people to like kind of move to the next thing. But this, you can tell is the type of horror movie where it's like, no, they have something they really want to tell you with this movie. I'm not surprised that Roger Ebert liked it. It has, I don't want to say that it's, it's like beyond the Valley of the dolls, but there are some similar aesthetics and themes and supremely quotable in your face, button pushing kind of screenplay. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you yeah. see that? Yeah. I mean, Beyond the Valley Dolls is also not a movie for everybody. And the dialogue is very stylized. You know, it's not naturalistic at all. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, well, let's talk about the characters a little bit. So, I mean, Jennifer, the Jennifer uh, Check, that's her name, Jennifer Check. She's terrible. She's a terrible, before, even before she was a demon, she's a, She's a bad friend, a bad person, sort of like, again, like the Vincent Gallo character in Brown Bunny. Even though she is the, she's on, she's the star of this movie, she's a charismatic villain from the get-go, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm, again, we're not the audience for this. And so I'm just, I'm just trying to think of other examples of, and there are plenty of them. And this is why this isn't a critique. I think that's part of what's intended. This is a film for girls and women. And I know as a guy watching guys who are cool and charismatic who get away with shit that normal people shouldn't get away with, 
is part of the fun of watching a Bill Murray movie or of watching some some Tarantino movies or like we could just go on and on. I mean, who can you think of any touchstones when you are watching when you think of the archetype that uh, of this movie star playing an unlikable character well not even not an unlikable character she's actually very likable very charismatic she's just a terrible person if she was a real person (laughs) well in a way she's kind of like she kind of acts like the mean girls in mean girls the ones that it's interesting like the villains of that movie is the titular character of this movie you know (laughs) like she's the popular girl who's kind of you know sassy and jerky to everyone around her uh you know and so it's just like it's interesting like she yeah she kind of or she reminds me of like the heathers and heathers you know yeah well and mean girls written by tina fey heathers is written by dan uh waters right uh that sounds right yeah so just trying to think of like the way that these characters are portrayed yeah, there's just something, there must be something that's very thrilling for women watching this, watching Megan Fox turn all of that. Like, I, I'm trying to think, if I ever had a friend like her, if I was like the Amanda Seyfried character. Her name is Seyfried. And in another movie, when she becomes a demon, she might kill that person or kill other people. But the fact that she only kills boys, it's like... if. I wonder if you were someone who was terrorized by a, uh, like if you're a woman who was terrorized by a Jennifer Check type person in high school, and then she became a demon and she just started only fucking with the boys instead of like she stopped picking on, stopped picking on you and just was like, I'm only going to kill boys now. (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe that feels like there's something there the relationship between listening to people talk about the relationship between jennifer and the amanda seafried character her name is seafried or seafried character you got that one right good job feels like there's a lot of universal relatability to their relationship if you've been a girl in the in high school having a friendship that straddled that sort of high school class divide with the popular girl and the nerdy girl or just kids who grew up together. There's got to be something in that that is very satisfying to see. And their relationship is the most interesting thing in the film. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. What I also think is interesting about this is that the film has been part of what the the world in which the film has been re-embraced is in this post-Me Too world. And it's really interesting to me looking at this film in the context of Me Too because, well, for the most part, the people that Jennifer chooses to take out her, if there's vengeance, she's just feeding. But if in the, in the idea of the movie, if this is a Me Too movie, the people that she's taking her vengeance on are basically innocent boys who are pretty much only guilty of being sort of insufferable and um, I don't know, available and dumb. Basically like the 
film, and I, I think it's fair, the film sets up these boys the way that countless movies have set up a lot of girls to be hunted by the hero of, of, of films. So it's totally fair that she's feeding on the innocent. What do you think about that, about the fact of who she's targeting? Well, I think it makes the movie more interesting because I think it's like, because she is sort of a villain, you know, because she is killed. Like, she definitely didn't deserve getting murdered on the satanic altar by this, you know, dopey goth band that happens at the beginning of the movie. But like in a, a movie normally she would be spending the movie seeking vengeance against them, you know? But instead, it's like, I'm just going to like kind of, you know, take these dopey guys who think I'm hot and then just like, not even really seduce them, just be like, hey, do you want to hang out? And then be like, okay, and then kill them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more interesting. It's like why I think Death Wish is a very interesting movie because like Charles Bronson, you know, has this horrible thing happen to his family, but he can't, but because it's New York City, he it's too big and he can't just like find the guys who did this to his family and the police won't help. So instead he just goes after anybody he thinks is a criminal. Also very wrongly, I feel in a way in those Death Wish movies, you know, and it's in the way this is like that, which is sort of like, well, she can't or maybe doesn't even care to go after the dudes who actually killed her. But, you know, she can take care of these other kind of they're creepy guys. They're not villainous men, but they're definitely kind of, you know. Not the greatest. <laughs> Do I condone their murder in real life? No. But in a movie? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, could you compare the people who celebrate Jennifer Check as a hero? Could you say that that's analogous to people who, like guys who will watch Apocalypse Now or The Wolf of Wall Street and see... Robert Duvall's character or Leonardo DiCaprio's character as someone, as people to emulate as opposed to (laughs) people who are being criticized. Yeah, or Travis Bickle or any of these people. It's just like men have always embraced like gangsters and people that are in real life villainous, like not good people. Like I love seeing Rambo blow people away, you know, like, and whatever reason when it's flipped... Guys get really upset. <laughs> Be like, wait a minute. It's not cool that she's like killing all these innocent guys. It's like, yeah, but you're fine with, you know, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger blowing up buildings and like, who knows what people on the sideline. Or you love, you know, like Jason Voorhees. You love seeing, you know, yeah. like a guy with a machete just hack, you know, people's heads off just because they decided to fuck. And you think that's great. But when it's like a lady doing it, it really rubs you the wrong <laughs> way. <laughs> Which is not, yeah. like, yeah, and that's very interesting. And, like, that's a weird double standard. And it's also, like, in a way, this movie's great because it taps into that. Like, it's it's sort of like, because, like, well, you know this from being in horror conventions and stuff and being part of the horror film world, you know, that, like, it's a very kind of bro-y place for the most part. It's a lot of, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of guys and the women that they love are kind of the ones in the skimpy outfits. And it's like people that kind of look like Megan Fox in a way. And so having the movie be kind of just kind of changing around that way is really interesting. Yeah. Now, when you were watching it, did you think, did you have thoughts of Under the Skin? Or is that just because I had literally watched Under the Skin the night before? <laughs> no, let's keep then... tying this in to people who made movies that had Nicole Kim in it that we did last month. <laughs> That well, no, no, it totally, it totally. Wait, under the skin wasn't under the skin wasn't Nicole Kidman. No, but that's oh, yeah. Jonathan Glazer who did Birth. Yeah. You know that Nicole right. Kidman was in, 
And so, like, yeah, totally. Because that's another movie where... And that's a movie that all all the dudes who watched it loved. Where it's this, this woman going through and killing innocent men. Like, kind of eating them, putting them in that weird tar dimension. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird movie if you haven't seen it. But, like, none of those guys are bad guys. None of them deserve it. You know? But that's okay. That's not how horror movies ever work. Uh, so it's weird that that would be the complaint for this by by some people. Of like, well, they're killing innocent guys. It's like, well, all the innocent women that die in <laughs> every slasher movie ever made. Like, it's fine to, to change it around. It's okay. Um, it's like it. Not to compare it to. I I I don't mean to compare it to another movie written by a man, but and back to Tarantino. But it does remind me, and we'll totally do an episode about this. But it reminds me of Death Proof in a way, because like oh, yeah. all the dudes that could fucking sit through hours. Of the Reservoir Dogs or, you know, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson talk about hamburgers and they love it and they eat it up through a fit when they had to sit through women doing the same thing, which is what Death Proof was, where it's like, oh, they're talking about the things they like and, oh, I hate this. This is so boring. And that was such a complaint I heard from so many men. But it's like, well, but wait a minute. it's the, He's writing the same kind of characters, but you just don't like it because they're women? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. Death Proof is one of my favorite Tarantino films. Oh, it's great. Not one of his favorites. He certainly talks negatively about it. Like, oh, I didn't have the money to do it. I had to do it. And it's like, I love it. Oh, I, think it's one of the, I think it's one of his best. World is yeah. wrong about Death Proof. Yes. In, fu- in the future, we'll definitely yeah. do that. We'll, we'll do that. Now, do you feel like Jennifer Check, like the Jennifer Check, the Megan Fox? Now, she looks different, but I was talking about Bikini Kill earlier. She seems, I can't, I can't stop thinking about Kathleen Hanna, the lead singer of Bikini Kill when I'm watching <laughs> Interesting. Jennifer. Like they're very, they're different, but they're also, there's a, there's enough of a similarity and I, you know, Diablo Cody sort of comes out of the world of the generation that grew up worshiping Bikini Kill and Kathleen Hanna, rightfully so. How familiar are you with Bikini Kill? I'm not very familiar. I'm, I was more of like I was too young, so I was more into La Tigra. So I was more into the more popular, the later stuff she did. I feel like there's a subtle something in there that feels like Olympia and Riot Girl that you recognize if you are familiar with it, and if you're not familiar with it, it just is in the soup of the film. Yeah, and in the, the movie ends with a whole song. So you have like that Courtney Love presence. Like that's also kind of, you know, right. the corporate version of that now, world. Now, is that you one, know, of like, the, <laughs> yeah. one of the issues that you or you think people might have about Diablo Cody? It's Diablo. As a sort of national cultural figure. It's always a thing when someone comes out of an indie punk rock scene and then becomes very successful commercially that there is the there's a sort of a judgment of being a sellout or of co-opting something that was more legit before it was being made by a major studio with you know millions and millions of dollars and all everything that goes into that. Do you feel like is that part of I don't know, of your critique of the film? Not not for me. I just don't think it's funny. <laughs> That's why I didn't like it. 
It's just, you know, just why it, there's things that I find funny, things I don't. That's just me. Uh, but I think for other people, for sure, this movie, because this was her big, this was Diablo Cody's big follow-up to Juno. It's Diablo. Which was, like, much beloved. As polarizing as that movie is, like, that movie won an Oscar. Like, people really like that movie a lot. Like, like that's a movie that, like, my aunt and uncle saw. You know, like, that's a, a normal people went and saw that movie, even though it was, like, this little movie that could, you know, like... And I think following up with this more, like this violent horror, more genre thing, took caught a lot of people off guard. I think it was a lot of people like, well, wait a minute, like what's going? Like you're making this movie starring the lady from the Transformers movies, like so. I think there was a lot of people who thought that either she sold out or like, oh, what happened? Like, what are you guys doing, going in this direction? Like you could make more things, you know, that are smaller. But now you're making this horror thing for... T- and because the way the movie was sold was it was sort of like this... Yeah, it just felt like an FHM Maxim, you know, magazine movie sort of horror thing. So I can see why it totally would instantly rub people the yeah. wrong way before they even saw it. Yeah. What did what you think about uh, Amanda Seyfried's performance? You got that one right. Good job. Uh, she's always great. I really... I mean, she's like what grounds this movie. Like Megan Fox and the way she acts is not how any human being I know actually... <laughs> behaves in a movie and that's sort of the problem the way i had with juno is it felt like everybody was acting in this movie world that i couldn't quite relate to but i feel this uh how do you say her name seyfried 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 she's sort of the human quality of this movie like even though the movie begins with her doing this ridiculous like kick in jail and it's like this heightened genre but her character uh the way you know, and I think I'm sure it's in t- totally intentional that she's more of like, oh, I'm the awkward, nerdy, you know, every person in high school. I'm the normal person. And so you need that. If the movie was just Jennifer, then it would be maybe even harder to get into. <laughs> but you need that, like, the other side of the coin of, like, the normal person who's sort of like, also through the movie, the more she figures out what Jennifer's up to is like reacting the way that you hope that person would have like, Oh my God, that's terrible. You're eating people. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, but she's, I mean, she's one of those people that I feel is like slowly has become more and more interesting over. Like she's definitely one of the best, uh, you know, actresses of the last 20 years. Like I was, I was a big fan of hers from Veronica Mars. And I think she's one of the only good parts of bank. Like she's a very compelling person did you ever see you know another movie that might be interesting is have you do you ever see the linda loveless movie that she was in where she played linda loveless no i bet that's another interesting that was another movie that people were polarized on but i i bet she's really really good doesn't look a thing like linda loveless but that's okay because i bet she does a very good job in it because she wait yeah, she's, linda lovelace lovelace i mean yeah you mean deep the, throat okay yeah you, okay yeah. linda loveless i'm like who's linda loveless linda lovelace <laughs> yeah so, yeah, she's great. I love her. Uh, yeah. In, in this movie, she's very likable. You really like her. Like, you could totally see watching this movie, this could have worked as a TV show also. Like, I feel you could have made this a really interesting genre television show following around Amanda Seyfried's character and then, um, you know, ha- like having all the stuff happen. Like, that would be a, a great... They could still do that, actually. Make a Jennifer's Body television show. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. It's a uh, Although I really like you're talking about about the end of this. 
I was so, I'm so happy when a film is really just contained like wall to wall. It is what it is. And when it's done, it's done. And you feel like that's great. I mean, that just, it took me to some new places and it's ending. It's really, like I said, really, uh, very satisfying end to the movie in an original way. And then it's just like, it's done. And I really like that. Let's talk a little bit about the, the, the supporting cast in this film is kind of amazing. I mean, you got J.K. Simmons, Amy <laughs> Sedaris, a young Chris Pratt shows up for just like, is he in one or two scenes? He's in... Yeah, not a lot. Uh, not a lot. Uh, Adam Brody is uh such a good jerk in this movie yeah yeah he's really excellent and uh a very short but awesome cameo from lance henriksen oh yeah that was unexpected yeah great yeah you're like at the end of the movie and all of a sudden she goes and there's a car like whoa wow how'd you get lance henriksen for one scene Uh, very good. Very, very good. Were there any that really stood out to you? Um, I think, I just think Adam Brody's really good because normally he's very likable in things. And in here he plays just like the ultimate douche, just showing up in this terrible, just sort of like garbage rock band with the stylish haircuts and just taking it to, if they weren't bad enough, they're also Satanists willing to murder a woman to gain more fame. So just like you really, like you already hate them and then you really hate them. <laughs> and then the fact that they cash in then on the tragedy that they caused and, and like, it's just so great. <laughs> they're, they're pretty, pretty good for the bad guy, for, you know, some of the bad guys of the movie, I think. And having Adam Brody be the lead of it, it just makes it, it's so much better than if it was someone who was like, sneering and more like i'm a bad guy but the fact that it's like usually charming adam brody totally totally makes it more effective i know you said you didn't you didn't think it was funny but i did you i really i loved this line of all the great lines i don't know why i i stuck on this one i think it might be a a, a, an amanda seyfried voiceover probably is she's talking about the the club where the what's the the band called low shoulder that's the name of adam brody's band where low shoulder is playing and she's just like yeah it's not really a club all we have is a jukebox and a sticker toilet and then you hear the music for uh, foreigners urgent playing and it just really i've been in places like that something about that line all we have is a jukebox and a sticker toilet like not a sticker wall a sticker toilet i just thought that was that was a great line and I and just all the like the way even before Jennifer becomes the demon, she's already talking about boys as salty morsels. Like she's already hunting boys. Like she was she was hunting boys even before the movie started, before she makes her transformation. It's kind of like, you know, if you like if you meet a character who's gonna be turn a male character who's going to be turned into a Jason or a Mike Myers, but we meet them in person and they're already just two degrees shy of being a rapist in real life. Not that that's quite what Jennifer is, but she is definitely, she's a hunter from the very beginning, which I think is a really interesting choice. I know I keep harping on it, but I think there's a, 
if she was a nice person or a good person who got made into a demon, I feel like this would be a far less interesting movie than that she's a bad person who all of a sudden gets these superpowers and she gets to really be as bad as she wants to be. And there must be something that feels really good about watching that that transformation of a character. But I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think just we've seen before the innocent turn into the, the demon. That's the exorcist, you know, like, so having it be someone who's not totally likable at, you know, at first and not totally innocent at first. It's more, I think that, I don't know, that is interesting because you could have made a movie about, yeah, this safe free character. I keep saying her name wrong. <laughs> Seyfried. Like, I, keep, I keep thinking Siegfried and Roy. Seyfried. Yeah. If you could have just made a movie about that character being turned into a demon and being like, I'm the evil, I'm evil and sexy now, I'm a demon. But we've seen that movie made many times by men. So like, I think it's more interesting to have someone who's already kind of there, but then they just turn it up a notch to adding murder to the mix of things. And, and there's clearly something wrong with her. And yet these dudes don't stop wanting to sleep with her. So that's kind of on them. <laughs> like there's clearly not, she's, there's something, there's a problem going on. Like she starts to look very pale. Like she's constantly showing up covered in blood at her friend's house. Like there's a lot of red flags that these guys are walking into. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you relate to these guys at all? Or do you feel like the film sets them all up? I don't. I, don't. I think the film sets them up to be kind of, you know, heels in a way, like the gothy guy that she eats. It, you know, it's just like, it's just sort of that thing of like, no matter how cool or alternative you think you are, you still want to sleep with the cheerleader. It's just sort of like, almost that's what it's commenting. It's like, oh, here's this punk dude. He will totally, at the no matter what, go out of his way to go, that you go have sex with Jennifer. You know, like, <laughs> anybody. <laughs> And I, I like that. Like that's an interesting thing. Like you want to pretend that you hate these people, that you hate like the popular people, and you're so edgy and you're punk. But then if one of these popular people, like this cheerleader, is like, "Will you, will you have sex with me?" Then the punk's like, "Oh, of course I will." So I think that's pretty. That's pretty funny and interesting and very true. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what What do you think about the? But what do you think about the boyfriend, uh, Amanda Seyfried's boyfriend character? Um, I mean, he just seems kind of like a... He seems, he's portrayed as more sympathetic. Yeah, but again, in the it, but he seems to be into doing stuff with Jennifer at the end of the movie on the way to the dance. He, does, like, he doesn't put up too much of a fight. You know, when she starts seducing him or coming on him, he's just kind of like, well, you know, and that makes him just seem like a jerk like all the other guys. Like, you want him to be this great guy through the whole thing, but then that makes him that's definitely a flaw in his character in the end because he's not complete he doesn't seem like he would be completely true to his girlfriend when jennifer's like hey guy and he's like oh well you know he doesn't go through with it but he seems like he would be game if it was happening did you get that vibe when watching it? well i mean <laughs> amanda seyfried's character also sort of yeah sort of makes out makes out with jennifer yeah, yeah that's too. true so yeah so like it's kind of like i th I think i feel like within the world of the movie not being able to say no to megan fox or jennifer check is kind of across the board like that's her like for better or worse that's kind of her power i don't personally i don't think that's what makes 
the character played by, I'm looking up his name, played by Johnny Simmons, who is, uh, who plays Amanda Seyfried's boyfriend. I don't think that's what makes him sort of an unlikable character in the film. Yeah. But I think that there's all these other subtle ways that the film makes him just into like, I guess when they say like boys develop slower than girls. Yeah. Like you just kind of get a sense that he is still very much in the world of high school and concerned with childish things. Whereas she, whereas the Amanda Seyfried's character is from the pretty much the beginning of this, when the movie really kicks in, she's living in this world of much more real concerns. Yeah. Like there's a scene where they're, so one of the things is that Amanda Seyfried's character and the Jennifer Check character, they have some sort of psychic link. So when Jennifer is feeding, Amanda can feel it. And there's one scene where Amanda and the Johnny Simmons character are having sex while Jennifer is feeding. And Amanda has this really strong reaction to what's going on with Jennifer. And he thinks that it's because he was such a great lover. (laughs) He's like, was I too big? (laughs) And you can see he's kind of proud and happy. And there's just like little, again, that's sort of like the conversation in the in the van with the with the the emo band are they a goth band i don't know the titles anymore I think but they're uh, emo gothy rock pop it's it, you know it yeah. got so messy by the aughts of like what is what right <laughs> exactly but you just kind of you there's something in the movie where you can kind of feel like every time every time men are talking in the film there is sort of an implied judgment parody you know the sense of thinking of all the shitty dumb or ignorant things that men have said to diablo cody it's diablo that you just put into the script Mm -hmm. and i think that if you've like i know what it's like to deal with dumb men in some ways, but not in the ways that are represented in this film. So it's just kind of, I don't know, interesting to see how, again, how to try and watch this film as someone who it's not meant for and try and use it as a gateway into understanding the people that it is made for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's one of that's, I think that's probably why I like it. My experience of growing up in a riot girl town is that like a lot of these women just don't like me on like on site because (laughs) I'm a guy. But I guess being like the reason I've chosen to stay here and being is because there must be something in me that likes being around women who don't like guys. (laughs) I find it. I don't know. I'm not going to say I find it a, it's not like it's it's a challenge. I don't be like, Oh, I'm going to make you like me, but it's more like, yeah, I don't like, I don't like guys either, but you know, like those (laughs) kind of guys. And maybe, you know, if I can, you know, maybe if you got to know me, you, you would like me. And then that turns out not to be the case either. Anyway. So that, so I, I feel like we're getting towards the end 
of our dissection and exploration of Jennifer's body. (laughs) What a creep you sound like. (laughs) I mean, I feel like, have we got all that we needed to get out of Jennifer's body? I think we really probed deep into Jennifer's body. I think we really took it apart, took apart Jennifer's body, dug around in Jennifer's body, dissected Jennifer's body. (laughs) And really, (laughs) I think we did a good job. I'm yes. finished with Jennifer's body. <laughs> it's fun. And <laughs> second uh, second film in not too not too uh, much time that we've had a a cameo from Amy Sedaris. I know people just like to sprinkle her in. She's like salt and pepper. She just makes it better no matter what you make. Just put a little bit of Amy Sedaris in there. You got you got something good going on. She's the salt, and J.K. Simmons is the pepper. <laughs> I think it's the other way around. I think he's the salt, she's the pepper. <laughs> so, okay, uh. well, uh, let's uh, let's play an uh, an ad for one of our paper house compatriots, and then kick it over to the interview with Jen Brown. <laughs> <laughs> one dream, one wish. One piece of mind. A podcast hosted by Nico White about One Piece by Acherio Oda on Paper House Network. We'll see you every Monday. Now, as we probably said earlier in this show, you are something of an expert in the genre of horror and particularly focused on feminist horror films and a feminist lens on horror films. I got to know you through your excellent podcast, Women in Caskets. And I'm also very excited about your new series, Genre Graveyard, which is a sort of an extension of Women in Caskets. And we just thought it would be a good idea when we're covering this film, Jennifer's Body, to invite an expert in this topic to point out anything that you think we may have missed in our celebration of this much maligned and underappreciated film. And also if necessary to take us to task for any areas that we may have gotten wrong. So Jen, you the judge. <laughs> I, I am. And, and being that I am also uh, the owner of Jennifer's body. <laughs> It oh yes, you a... have you have your own you have your own Jennifer's body to contend with. <laughs> I have with. my own Jennifer's body. I do. Um and funnily enough, I have a lot of opinions about that. Uh specifically about how the body aspect is uh, used and referred to um not only as a woman but as a Jennifer with a body and specifically as a Jennifer with a body who went in high school. Uh, while being geeky as all get out and a punk rock nerd, um, also developed massive, massive tits at a teenage that sprouted out of nowhere and caused me a lot of problems and a lot of unwanted attention I did not want. Um, and were hence very pivotal in my uh, uh, burgeoning uh, riot girlness and. I feel very. I I just feel like I'm very appropriate for many reasons to be talking about this movie. Um, Already, I, you're complimenting anybody... <laughs> me on my good taste. Excellent. This is, <laughs> yes! I like how this is going. Okay, great. Yes. 
perfect. It's perfect. I mean, for anybody who like, you know, looks pic- pictures up and it's like, her boobs aren't that big. I had a breast reduction when I was 25 before uh, I got any sort of fame for, for my acting or, or producing or anything like that. So that's, that's why. And I specifically got that because A, they were uncomfortable, but also I really hated uh, the male gaze. And when you are a woman with a what is considered a overly sexualized uh, body part, like breasts, are um, you find out very quickly what the patriarchy is and you find out very quickly uh, uh, how much it sucks because pretty much all people refer to you by is by your, oh, that's big boobed Jen or that's that Jen. And it was a lot of my life before I got rid of them. Um, So I have feelings. (laughs) We're here to, we're here to hold space for those feelings, Jen. (laughs) Um, Well, first off, I, I think it is very smart for you uh, to have someone who is female-identifying uh, comment on this podcast, because it is sorely needed. And you did you did acknowledge that when I listened to it. It was very clear that you were aware of your blind spots. So I'm not so much going to take y'all to task for anything you said as far as maybe add a correction and or a reasoning behind why I think certain things y'all said aren't entirely accurate. We can handle it, Jen. We can handle it. (laughs) Brian and I grew up in Olympia getting getting corrected by original riot girls we can handle it (laughs) lay it on us we are we are here to learn so please so here on on that on that note um you specifically point out that you feel like there's like a lot of like riot girly things uh about this movie and that you are correct however your comparison of Jen uh Jennifer's character and uh Kathleen Hanna are is uncategorically wrong. <laughs> it's just absolutely wrong. I see zero similarities in Jen uh and Kathleen outside of perhaps owning their own sexuality. Now I do feel like Kathleen Hanna, she's one of my personal heroes. I do feel like there's a lot of Kathleen Hanna energy in this movie, but I would definitely not attribute that to the character of Jennifer. Now, what I could see happening is if Jennifer as a character had actually not been so horrifyingly abused and murdered by the true villains of this movie, which are fucking low shoulder. Right. Um, she very well could have grown up to be a badass like Kathleen Hanna, but she was not given that chance to redeem herself, essentially, as she grows. One of my main issues with this movie, as far as um, both judgment and people who like it and dislike it, is that thinking that Jennifer, watching Jennifer, 
do what she does to these men is cathartic and enjoyable or that Jennifer's character herself is uh, not innocent and a bad, horrible person. I have a counter for that. Lay it on us. Teenage girls are very complicated in that most women are, if they're a mean girl in high school, 90% of the time, like it is with most trauma and most people who are considered villains, there's a reason that they act the way they are. They are not just bad people. For Jen, it is very much she has a body that is considered sexualized before she was able to sexualize it for herself. It was sexualized for her. Now, does she clearly own her own sexualization? Yes. Love that. That's great. She is completely aware of what she wants and how she can get it. However, like Megan Fox in real life, she absolutely was guided to be that way because of, not that Megan Fox was guided to be sexual, but that as a young woman, because men viewed her as a sex object at like 12, like the character of Jen internalized that um, and embraced it, which I think is very powerful. However, I also think that it can come across as being the mean girl because she's embracing like these sort of negative things, these toxic femininity uh, aspects, if you will, which you bring up. Um, But I really do see Jennifer as a true innocent and she really isn't that bad of a person before the demon takes over her body. She does some stuff that's pretty shitty But teenage girls in general are pretty shitty. Even the good ones, like me. I will even admit, like, I got picked on a lot. But because I got picked on a lot, I would then thus pick on people that I shouldn't have picked on. It's this, teenage years are terrible. And I think most people can agree that 90% of the time, the person you are, you were as a teenager, really doesn't have that much bearing on who you turn out to be because hormones and mental illness and all peer pressure and and expectations and all those toxic toxic messages that we're sending to boys and girls like just not a good combination in general like most teenagers um although I do believe that's changing uh as A lot of the teens that I meet these days, because I have a lot of teenage fans for a lot of the voiceover I do, and I meet a lot of them at cons, and they are absolutely growing. I wasn't able to come out when I was a teenager. I mean, yeah, Sleater Kinney and and Kathleen Hanna and Bikini Kill were like my favorite bands, and I was a riot girl, but I was still closeted because it was not, it was still not considered okay. Um... And for someone who was as open as I was, I was still closeted and still held, you know, a lot of, yeah, just, you know, I, I internalized a lot of this shit that was thrown onto me, you know. So my my feeling is that Jennifer, while being, yes, a mean girl and maybe not, you know, obviously 
being the best person. I take issue with her not being called innocent. Uh, there's a point in the podcast where y'all talked about how she's she's not an innocent. And I highly disagree with that. I do believe she's innocent. She did nothing to deserve what was done to her. Oh, of course, um, of course, yes. In any way, shape, or form. And I also don't believe that she exists in the movie after she is murdered. Everything that Demon Jennifer does is not who the real Jennifer was. It is the demon who has possessed her body and has definitely taken on the toxic parts of her personality and then amplified them. But it is not her. And if I had to criticize the movie, it was the one thing I will say that didn't get a chance to get clarified enough. But what I'll say, any criticisms I do have of this movie have nothing to do with the direction or the writing. I think they all have to do with the way the studio chopped this movie up, I'm assuming, because there's so many things that I feel uh, were would have been made clear. Um, and there's it reeks to me of the studio interfering in its message, in my opinion. Um, but I, I do love this movie, and, and I have to apologize profusely to uh, anyone that told me they loved this movie 10 years ago because that was not my original takeaway. <laughs> I was absolutely one of those people that had a stick up their butt about this movie when it came out. Um, and I know now uh, is because at the time when I was watching it, I was very much in the thick of my pretentious music film sort of age where if things weren't done perfectly, I was kind of an asshole about it. Um, and I was also going through my own, like, emotional abusive relationship at the time. So my opinions on some things were a little little weird because I was dealing with my own mental anguish. Uh, but on rewatching the film later and again for this podcast, I was like, you dumbass. This has got everything you love. The only issues with this movie are with, obviously, the way the studio, like, wanted it to be advertised and marketed um and the way that they possibly cut out things like i feel like jk simmons amy sedaris you don't put those people in movies yeah to use them for one or two scenes same like, thing with, uh, with lance henriksen like he's yeah exactly yes yes <laughs> like the cast <laughs> yeah. oh my god holy shit i mean i amy sedaris is also one of my heroes uh massive 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 influence on me and there's just no way that that was the only scene she was in. So I feel like there's a lot that got taken out of this movie. We need Jennifer's uh, body, the uh, the director's cut. I know, There's an unrated version. I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's a director's cut or if it's just unrated. So I, I'm not I've entirely seen that sure. and it does not have more. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Then no. Yeah. There needs to be a director's cut because I, 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 if I'm wrong, okay, I'm wrong. But it just... Why does J.K. Simmons have a claw arm? Why, like, there's all these things that I'm like, there's no way Karen Kusama, who is an incredible director, or Diablo Cody, who I think gets an unfair rap. I'm with you, yep. Andres, 100%. Um, I feel like there's no way that those things would have been, or Amy Sedaris' character would have been introduced without more explanation. I just don't, There, it's just, I can't imagine that. 
Um, I could be wrong, but to oh, me, it seems like there's- Oh, I want a four-hour version of Jennifer's body with- <laughs> Me too! <laughs> with the whole back, with the backstories on all these characters. Yes. Yes! Uh, with the, like, with the low, with the, the low show. I mean, the low shoulder are the villains, oh. and they're in it probably just enough, but I have a feeling that- there's also no, some great satire yes. from Diablo yes. Cody about them on the road and like music yes. videos of them and like yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Build yes. Out yes, the yes, world. yes. 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 Seriously, I because like to me, low shoulder are the villains straight up. Um, and that you know, there's a few things like if I had written the script, I probably would have made the story more about getting vengeance on low shoulder. Um, which yeah, but isn't come it great into the way play. that is played at it, the end? It's pretty I will awesome. say, but yes, it is very great that that's how it's played at the end. Uh, I just would have had it. It's just not brought up very much, is what I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. it's not focused on as much as I think it should have been. Again, that could be in the script, and we didn't see it, so right. I don't know. Right. Uh, but there's that, and then also. The whole opening with Needy and having fans, like, there's something that wasn't explained there. Like, the like, why are people obsessed with her, with what she did? Like, there's no, like, it's really hard. Like, if they're specifically referencing the low shoulder thing, then there needs to be more of, I don't know. I just, there's so many parts of this movie that I'm like, there's so much context I feel left, got, like, forced out by dumb executives. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, like, that's how I feel about this movie. Uh, but I think it's brutally hilarious. I'm with you. My husband had never seen it. So we watched, when I did my rewatch for this podcast, he watched it with me. And he was laughing his ass off the whole, he loved it. He, lo- he loved this movie. I, I think Megan Fox is freaking hilarious in oh, this movie. It's, it's a great, <laughs> it is a truly great flat out movie star performance. Like she. Yeah. Yeah, it's She's one of those so things where people can act in a totally different world that nobody else inhabits, and yet you totally buy it. Yeah. Well, and her casting, like I was saying, is perfect because she was viewed as this sexual object with no redeeming value, unfairly, and because of that fucking asshole Michael Bay. So, like, well, and also, you know, thousands of years of fucking... Yeah, don't get don't give Michael life. Bay yeah. all the credit for the patriarchy. No, no. He's just he, he's just riding not... on the boat. He didn't build exactly. the boat. Exactly. Right, exactly. Um, but But he's got a good seat on it. So He really does. <laughs> and what he did to Megan Fox is pretty fucked up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh listeners, you should definitely check out some more recent Megan Fox interviews where she talks about how he like courted and sexualized her from like age 12 essentially. It's really messed up. Anyway, point being, <laughs> the casting of her is brilliant because that's exactly how she was treated in real life. And that is how people treated Jennifer. And that is mm-hmm. also why people say they hate the movie. So it, it's, it's, it's so unbelievably perfect. Um, and Amanda uh, Seyfried is... <laughs> no, say, I've never I hey I'm not gonna judge you on your mispronunciation because even though she's one of my favorite actors I have a hard time pronouncing her name too <laughs> yeah which one is it Seyfried like sci-fi oh, I did I said Seyfried yeah I said 
that. Okay, okay. I thought you were saying calling me out like I got it wrong. No, no, I was um, just trying to jump in to correct to, to put it in before you oh. accident. You might have <laughs> got it wrong. So sorry. Gotcha. Uh, but Amanda Seyfried is one of my favorite actors. I think she's. I agree with y'all. Like she is a powerhouse, and she is so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember an issue I had when I first thought I didn't like this movie years aged like over a decade ago was like oh she's so beautiful i'm so tired of pretty girls getting cast as nerds but then i thought about it and i was like well but i'm attractive and i was the unattractive nerd in high school usually the unattractive nerd is pretty they just don't realize it yet because they're still finding themselves and they haven't had their makeover montage yet (laughs) right 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 (laughs) um so i actually forgive it because in a way, it feels like a comment um, on that whole sort of thing. Like, the nerdy, you know, ugly girl never really is the nerdy, ugly girl. It's just how we perceive or are told to perceive ourselves at that age. Um, a lot of us find confidence and, you know, grow up. And that's really what beauty is. It's just being confident in who you are um, on all aspects. So... Yeah, but I I adore her. I think she's great in this movie. Um, I the very specific skewering of the absolute mess that was the mid uh, aughts, <laughs> as far as music is concerned, and like low shoulder and the like. Is it emo? Is it goth? Is it just bad pop rock? Like what is it? <laughs> Is it, it just nails it on the head. Y'all are totally, totally correct on that. Low shoulder, like we were saying, is absolute perfect, perfect example of uh, that era of music, which, in my opinion, is not the best. <laughs> um, Even though, you know, uh, as someone who grew up in the uh, mid-late 90s and graduated in 2001... I was technically, you know, a member of the early emo tribe with the get up kids and saves the day and all that stuff. Um, I feel like the second wave of emo, like the low shoulder era, uh, was not quite as, I don't know. It seemed a little bit more mainstream to me. Now I try not to judge any music anymore because I know how toxic that it, that mm-hmm. attitude is. And even people like who were in the rag girl industry and in the indie rock uh, and punk rock scene who are now older have straight up admitted like oh yeah excluding people and judging everyone based on their music maybe not the best way to be (laughs) um but but I'll just say I don't think it's necessarily the greatest era for music um there was a lot of douchery in that in that era a lot of douchebags douchebags got famous around that time and I feel like Diablo just nails it so intensely. And also, as far as, like, Jennifer's obsession with, like, sleeping with this guy and obsession with the band, I, like, pre-demon possession, that version of Jen, if you ignore the fact that she was popular and beautiful, um, that was me. I was that girl in high school that was like, oh, my God, we got to go see this band at this stupid little terrible place that's, like, not a dive bar but isn't has a sticker toilet. I agree with you. Great line. <laughs> um, 
Like, I was, that was me. I was like, oh my God, this guy's so cute. And oh, I'm going to go see this band. And like, that's what I, that, I was 100% that teen girl, except I was like a little rag girl punk rock nerd. So I was going to like Emo's in Austin when it was still on Red River. Um, and it was like all ages. And it was like the cool place to be because you could go see, like, you know, I went and saw Bratmobile and I never got to see Bikini Kill in their heyday, but I saw Bratmobile, I saw Cedar Kinney, like all these bands I would go and see as a little young, you know, punk rat girl and, you know, have my uh, sort of really it was like a crush on their person, not so much based on what they look like. It was like, oh, my God, you write this amazing music or you sing this amazing music and you're a woman or you're a man or you're not or like whatever. Because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pan. At the time, I wasn't out, but like, <laughs> I had a lot of crushes. I was very confused about. <laughs> and now and you have a lot of crushes. Lot of you're just girl. very excited about. So you know, it's good. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I feel like she nailed that aspect of being, and like San Antonio isn't a small town, which is where I grew up, but it's a huge city with a small town. Uh, feel if anyone from San Antonio will completely agree with me because even though it's a huge city it does not feel that way Um, especially if you were in the punk scene in any way shape or form Um, it was pretty small so it I just you know I I really felt for her and I think that's why I have such a hard time like calling her bad person and and not innocent because to me she was a woman who was trying to figure out her place in the world and was maybe going through a bad spot of just embracing all this toxic shit that was dumped on her and being like fine you want me to be the sexy bad girl I'll be the sexy bad girl um but if Jennifer hadn't been so wrongfully yet hilariously sacrificed by a bunch of low shoulder douchebags she probably would have grown up to be a Kathleen Hanna. <laughs> I feel like need she would be apologizing to Needy and be like, I can't believe I treated you like that. Um, I truly feel that way. Really? I... <laughs> yeah, I do. I truly do. I truly feel like she would have grown up to realize that that was not the way to go. Um... I really do. I really do. Just being someone who has friends that used to be mean girls, that I wasn't friends with them when they were mean girls, but they're cool adults now. And they're like, I can't believe I fell into that trap. I was such a mean girl asshole. And they're some of the nicest fucking most supportive, amazing people I know nowadays. Um, it is a very easy trap to fall into, especially when you're a teenage girl, because it is encouraged um, much more than being nice is, weirdly enough. Uh, so I, I, that's the, really, this is the main thing that I feel like y'all got wrong <laughs> is in that Jennifer is this not innocent, irredeemable person, which I a hundred percent disagree with. Oh, I would never, I, I, I don't think we said irredeemable. I don't believe well, anyone no, is you didn't. irredeemable, but can I, can I, t- not to, uh, not to disagree, but just to give you a sense of where. Oh, of course. Yes. So basically all of the areas where you take us to task 
or and I'll just say take me to task because I think mostly those things that you're bringing up are things that I said, which is is fair. It's good because I'm the one here who can answer them. All come from projection. Like you, right. when you see Jennifer's, and I think this is why we need you on this podcast, because when you watch Jennifer's body, you watch it from inside Jennifer's body. When yeah. I watch Jennifer's <laughs> body, I watch it from outside of Jennifer's body, whether there's sympathy or uh, antagonism or whatever, that's just the relationship. So to me, when I say that she reminds me of Kathleen Hanna, I'm thinking, I remember running into Kathleen Hanna at a Kinko's when she was helping Carrie Brownstein, like, print out flyers for her new band. Oh, God, you're talking about all of my favorite (laughs) fucking people. But but basically, I related to her kind of the way that goth kid did, was sort of like, oh, my God, you're talking to me. Uh, uh, uh. So in that sense... That's what I mean. Is just sort of like when I okay. like, yeah. Not that All she right. is like Kathleen Hanna in any okay, way, great. Other gotcha. than that, Rock she has these eyes that when you when she looks at you, boys melt in one way. Like, okay, that's fair. That so, is yes, no. I so, boys and women. I uh, yeah. No, <laughs> Kathleen had a big old crushery, as was. Like Carrie Bradstein and Olive Sleater Kinney. Right. Um, so oh yeah, yeah. So that's that's where that is. And then with the idea that she is, uh, I think the idea of when when we're talking, I think this is where Brian brought up uh, the idea of the innocent. It's not that we're saying that she's not innocent in that she's guilty, but in that she's not the the virginal. Ah, and here's where I have I guess, the problem. I mean, like, what I mean is, is like, associating what, what, no, 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 innocence no, no, with that's virginity. What I, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying is I'm not. I'm saying that okay. in in tr- in a traditional horror film, the victim of these guys would be portrayed in that virginal right, Carrie. Right. She's like she is someone who is completely sheltered from the world and then the big bad wolf comes and gets her whereas in this and this is one of the things that i think is strong about it is that jennifer is portrayed not as a sweet nice person who we're supposed to feel sorry for but she is portrayed as well as i don't want a real human being with faults yeah as all these others and well she's not a real human being she is like this super exceptional character who's like you're and like what you're saying is that she is treated this way like she represents to the world as the alpha girl in her world as opposed to who would usually be the target of the killers in a movie like this someone who were immediately told sympathize with as opposed to see as the you know you know if it was yeah, yeah. If it was a male character, you know, she, she's the James Dean and Amanda Seyfried is the Salminio. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. what I mean by that. And then as far as, and again, and so for me, the projection part is girls like that were terrifying to me as a teenager. Right, right. And they were also very mean. And so when I say that, to me, the Jennifer that I see is a terrible person because I knew, like, because people like her terrorized me and my friends. Just like if she oh, was, just like if she too. was the football star 
or yeah. or like Vincent when like we paired this with Brown Bunny because I feel like in a similar way like any person deserves compassion and any person who's cruel yeah. became cruel probably because of some cruelty to them. Yes. And yes. that is I yes. think and if you watch and so it sort of explains why someone can watch Brown Bunny and be like yes Vincent Gallo is has a there's a lot that's wrong with him. And I can watch this movie and feel inside of that and feel the pain in it. And it creates compassion for this person who represents as a toxic male. And I feel like there's the similar thing. And it's like it's intuitive with Jennifer's body. Like, I don't have the experience of I've never known really a person like Jennifer. I don't think maybe I have. Mm -hmm. But even in like even in adult life, people, quote, like that live in this rarefied alpha world. And I kind of oh, yeah. I kind of hang on more of the, the beta world. Yep. Yep. So, no, I'm so I'm the same. I'm the same, dude. This is not at all to discount. Everything you say is right in yep. terms of your because and why we have you here, because people are probably listening to this who can relate to Jennifer's body from the standpoint of being inside it and being like, wait a second, you called her terrible? You said she wasn't innocent? Uh, She's nothing like Kathleen (laughs) Hanna. And all of those things are valid. Just understand that where we're coming, or where I'm coming from in in saying those is- Oh, I totally understand that. Absolutely. the weak boy who's like, oh my God, why is she so mean to me? As opposed to like, I I don't want to- you know, I don't think she should be burned at the stake or judged in some no, terrible no. Yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you also, but do you notice that at the beginning, like she is very clearly represented represented as a hunter of boys before she becomes the right, but, killer of boys. Uh, well, well, yes. However, hunter doesn't feel right because that, She calls me, them tasty feels- morsels. Oh, what? So men don't? No, no. Teenage boys don't call women no, no. like no, that's... no. That's it's not. It's not. Yes, of course they do. <laughs> and and you would call those boys hunters or predators if they talked like that. Well, you in would a call film. them regular boys, well, right? Like in general, it, that if, here's my thing. Yeah. The behavior that she's displaying is behavior that has long been considered normal for boys and abnormal for girls, which is an inherent. Yeah inherently unfair i say that as someone who although i was very nerdy i was a horny fucking teenager like i constantly was like trying to hunt down someone to hang out with and that doesn't make me that didn't make me a you know a hunter and a bad thing um she's not a rapist no. uh i guess it's can i can i jump she in takes here? advantage yeah 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 the point but we're I'm just talking about, like, if I'm writing a screenplay and I have someone who's going to be a hunter when they become, when they get bit by a wolf or a vampire or a sexy snake or whatever. And then <laughs> I'm, before that happens, I set up that they already have the, the latent qualities that are going to come out. Oh, she's horny as shit. Yeah, well, she's horny and, as fuck. Yeah. But she's not, but the language that Diablo Cody puts in her mouth is... They're tasty morsels. I'm right. And she's going to go and they're salty. And like all of the words she uses have to do with 
taste and with eating and devouring. And then she yeah, becomes yeah. a eating, hunting, devouring demon. So right. I hear what you're saying. Well, I'm she's not trying turned, to she's turned into one. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So I'm not trying to like paint it with a wide brush and say, oh, this speaks to all women. I think it, to me it's more like a recognition of the skill of Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama in that from the very beginning of this movie, it's giving you messages and telling you things on a very, like that are not, they're subtle, but they're not that subtle. They're, but it's also clearly a comment on that though. Oh yeah. Having her be that in charge of her sexuality and that aware of her desire um, that women being aware of their own desire has often been considered evil. <laughs> um, in general, I mean, you just look at the slasher trope, uh, you know, and uh, mostly in the the Jason movies. But you know, like, yeah, if you're not a virgin, you're evil and you need to die. Like, they're very clearly commenting on that, which I love um, that reversal because it's how you know a lot of us grew up. A lot of girls, you know. We were told we're not supposed to be sexual, and then a lot of us are, and it causes a lot of weird shit, um, I could say, from experience, uh, and a lot of confusion about about that. And that's, I mean, why a lot of women I know, uh, you know, take back the word slut and whore and mm-hmm. things like that, because it's like, no, yeah, you want to call me? Yeah, I'm a fucking slut. It's not a bad thing. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which is clearly a huge point that's being made in this movie, which I love mm-hmm. so much, but I think does get missed by people. Um, well, I think that's what's so exciting about the film. And I think even in its uh, its sort of troubled history is that flip of like, mm-hmm. this was marketed to the wrong audience. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, in a weird way, the right audience, right? Exactly. That really is who should hear it, but they're not going to get that message. Right. So it, (laughs) it, that's what I'm trying to say is like, it's marketed to the wrong audience, but that doesn't mean that that is the wrong audience for the film. Right. It just means (laughs) that, I mean, that's again, why it's so important to have you here is because the film is raising a conversation. And I think the the way the world is wrong about this movie, I think probably from both audiences that it could be intended for, is that people yeah. did not, I don't think anyone saw how smart, how just over the top, like, because the film is kind of, it's like a teenage film, and mm-hmm. Megan Fox is not who you necessarily think of as like the the face of a really intellectual film and and it's very colorful and it's horror and there's, and the title is like, is, is definitely trolly in in certain ways. Oh, absolutely. And all of that creates this confusion that you think you're getting something that's very light and frothy entertainment. And what you get is something that is so much more challenging and so much smarter all the yeah. way through, and it requires a conversation that a, the film never got. And I feel like it, actually, See, I don't want to say it's never got because I've listened to a no. bunch of podcasts, and now yeah, 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 yeah. it feels like this film. I mean, Amanda Seyfried is pro- probably going to win an Oscar this year. So she's, you know, she's getting her, her own. We need to get to 
get uh, Karen Kusama and Diablo Cody the credit they deserve because I just no shit. <laughs> this film, this film is I, I. It's masterpiece adjacent. I would say yes. It is. I agree. It is so close that it should be talked about. As, you know, it's it's a, such a, an important and valid film, and when you look at the trajectory of the people who came out of it and what they are doing, that makes it, that draws it even further into the masterpiece world because it's like, okay. Oh, oh I agree. All of I these agree. really amazing people collaborated on this kind of light film, but it's not light at all. It's so much more. And oh, yeah. So, and that, that, it, that it brings up all of these conversations and that. Oh, it does. It invites you. It invite this is a film that invites the male gaze and questions it at the same time. That I feel like it yes. also invites the riot girl, you go girlness, but also questions yeah. that. Yes. And yes. that's a, that's to me yes. that's just a sign of great filmmaking. Male, female, I, whatever. It's just I so agree. Good. <laughs> I agree. And you know, you know what's so crazy too, and um it has a lot of similarities with one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, which I personally love more than Jennifer's Body. And that's not to denigrate Jennifer's Body. It's just, I think Teeth does a lot of the things that Jennifer Body was trying to do, but more succinctly, but it got the same treatment when it came out. Um, which one? Which is, which is Teeth. Oh. Which came out two years before Jennifer's Body. And Teeth is very much a movie that was marketed as oh it's about vagina dentata and it's about it's you know very much treated as poorly as jennifer's body as far as like marketed to the wrong people and then people went in thinking they're going to see this campy movie about a you know a girl with teeth for a vagina and that movie is not that i mean there's can't be elements to it but that is a movie with an absurdly strong feminist stand uh very very clear message um it is one of my absolute all-time favorite movies ever uh and it was it that movie needs to be on on your podcast that movie is like people when that came out people did not get it that was not treated properly um and jess wexler in teeth her performance is one of my favorite performances by a woman in a lead movie ever 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 um she's incredible and if you've never seen teeth it's the vagina dentata movie um it's got uh, Hale Appleman's in it too, and he's he's gone on to have a pretty good career right now. Um, there's a lot of good people in that movie, but I have been a champion for that movie since it came out, and I've been the person that's always like, "Oh, you want to see an amazing feminist horror movie that's not like talked about enough, or is constantly uh, miscategorized as being anti-feminist when it's the complete opposite? It's fucking teeth." That movie's brilliant. <laughs> and it has a lot of similarities with Jennifer's body. You have a, a girl who is your lead, who is being taken over by something. However, in teeth, it's a defense mechanism. So that any time a man tries to, uh, well, sexually assault her, let's be honest, um, her natural defense mechanism is that her vagina grows teeth and it 
bites their dick off. Like, it is a modern horror fairy tale about a young girl learning how to handle her own sexuality and finding out that she's got this demon inside of her and and learning, you know, what she's going to do with that. It is a fucking incredible goddamn movie. And if anything, if this podcast gets people who have seen Jennifer's body and haven't seen Teeth to see Teeth, then I did my goddamn job. Because Teeth is one of the first movies we reviewed on Women in Caskets, you know, eight, seven, eight years ago. It's will to this day be one of my favorite movies of all time. I have seen it countless, countless, countless times. And there's so many similarities between Teeth and Jennifer's body um, in theme. Like, so many, so many things. But where they vary is the men in Jennifer's body aren't explicitly evil. Like, her victims are these dudes that, in comparison to most men in horror movie, don't really deserve what comes to them at all. Um, and in Teeth, she only kills men that are very clearly <laughs> sexual predators. <laughs> so she becomes like a superhero, uh, uh, seducing and then, you know, murdering sexual predators, essentially. Um... But a lot of people thought that, you know, they were going to go into this silly, campy movie. And really, it's this, like, fucking genius indie fairy tale. You just pulled a classic Brian video store move. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, you want to talk about (laughs) Jennifer's body? Well, yeah, you think you do. But what you really want to see is teeth. (laughs) Yes! Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. So, we can find you, Mr. Jones, on your other show, Radio 8 Ball where you answer questions by picking songs at random. Do you, so you said you had some Riot... Have you had some Riot Girl bands on, on Radio 8 Ball? I know they hate you and they don't want to talk to you. It's and, not but... that they hate me and don't want to talk to me. It's just like they don't like... They don't like the cut of my jib. They don't like the fact that I have a jib at all. But have you had any uh, any highlighted... Any guests you'd like to talk about? When we did the Transfused, the queer punk rock opera that uh, I spoke about in the episode with Zach Carlson because we were both in it. Around that time, I was sort of like included in that community for a while. So um, at that time, we had Nomi Lamb, who was one awesome. of the original Riot Girls. She was on She was on the show. And I think we had some of the folks from The Need. Great. You know, call Great in and be on, be on the show. And... It's funny, you know, here's the thing. So I, again, I don't, I cannot be a riot girl, but I feel kind of, you know, I just feel like that's one of the big influences on my life. Not necessarily the music, but the aesthetic of it. Um, And I've been sort of, it's sort of like I've been waiting for a lot of the cultural shifts 
that have, have happened in the last five or 10 years, my whole life, because I was raised by a feminist woman in Olympia, Washington. And mm-hmm. so she would have loved to have had a daughter who could grow up to be a riot girl and make movies like this, as opposed to a son who would mansplain this movie <laughs> to the audience. Someday I want a son who can explain a movie made by a woman on a podcast to other men listening to it and women listening to it. Yeah. Now, what do you think? What do you think the breakdown of our audience is? Do you think it's I, I don't know. Do you think you do you think it's mostly men who listen to this? I don't Feels th- like it's mostly women who comment on our Instagram. That's very true. I you know, I don't know. The world of podcast to me is a baffling uh, place that I I know that I don't listen to podcasts and so I'm and the people that I know who do are women. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna go on a limb and say ninety nine percent women and there's like two guys that <laughs> that listen to this. So we just lost everybody like half of our audience. You just lost everybody. No, come on. No, no. we're we love uh, like. Yeah. I I genuinely love this film, and I should say I I, I you know what we did we one thing I I didn't get to say in the last section. I'm sort of. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about Radio Eight Ball right now. I just say check it out. We got lots of episodes. But one thing I went I, I tried to watch more Diablo Cody films. It's Diablo. A lot of them I couldn't track down, but I did watch Tully, and that's another really, really interesting movie. And I highly, I don't say high, yeah, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend just following Diablo Cody. You got that one right. Good job. She is cutting a uh, a swath as a as a writer and making just films that I don't think films and TV shows that I don't think anyone else would make. Tully is a very specific and unique film. And I don't want to describe it because I don't want to spoil it. But I, I definitely recommend checking that out. Also, United States of Terra, uh, which was a, a series with Tony Collette that I really, really enjoyed. So, yeah. And, yeah, check out Radio 8 Ball. It's a podcast. We answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting them like musical tarot cards. And... I would love to have Diablo Cody as a guest on the show someday. That would be awesome. I would love to hear what her question for the pop oracle would be. It might be like, uh, when are you going to stop mansplaining my movie, Andras? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, every episode we analyze and overtly explain our movies, no matter who made them. So, you know, we're, 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 we, we do it to everybody. We're, we're equal opportunity explaining that's what podcast that's all podcasts are someone overtly explaining something that you you didn't want to know did you even know want to know so much about so i can imagine you're preparing for uh diablo cody it's diablo season of the director's wall (laughs) well has she directed anything i don't know has she? Someone should do a uh, writer's wall. Do a do a do a show where you go through everything by a writer. Oh yeah, I guess that's I guess that's that's fair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that you have to be a director to be on the director to be wall. on the director's I wall. Yes, uh, I mean she definitely is interesting. I definitely want to see Tully and Young Adult. Those two look very fascinating, and I do really like Charlie's Throne quite a bit. So I think that I'm. If you recommend Tully, then I'm going to seek it out. But no, no, no Diablo Cody director's wall. But not because it's Diablo Cody. It's because she's not a director. 
She starts directing. She things? has directed one film. She directed a film called Paradise. Okay. With Holly Hunter and Nick Offerman. Huh. Never even heard of that movie. Yeah, I haven't. I I'm. It came out in 2013. Hmm. So okay. She directed one and was like, I'd rather let other people. Direct Writing's better. Films, it's the better job. Yeah, you'd get to do it at home. <laughs> you just mail it to Hollywood. You just send it to the Hollywood sign. And then someone picks it up and maybe makes a movie. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So right now you are in the middle of exploring the work of Francis Ford Coppola. As of this recording, you just released your Rumblefish episode. Finally. Great. <laughs> Long overdue. How many episodes did I say that's the one we're going to be on? Like five or seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, we finally did it. <laughs> now I don't have to say that that's upcoming ever again. Yeah, no, it's fun. I'm excited to to keep digging into it. Yeah, and who who was that? Who did you do the crossover episode with? Oh yeah, Shane Hazen. I think that's how you say it. Hazen. I just want to say it like Jerry Lewis, Shane Hazen <laughs> of the Five Phenomenon, and he was a great guest. He uh, he. I watched the Oscars with him once. He was a good person to watch it with. Uh, he has his yeah his own podcast called the Five Five P H I yeah Five Phenomenon. And he's got a lot of, he always has great uh, film critics on there and different interests. He always analyzes movies in a very smart way. And so we invited him in to talk about Rumblefish and he was great. And I'm going to have you on when we do the Coppola Grisham movie because you keep talking about that one being good. So I think that you'd be a good guest for that one. As long as I get to do one of the episodes for a film that Mickey Rourke is in. Then I'll be fine. <laughs> oh, he's in that? I didn't even know that. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was very happy to hear you talk about Rumblefish because I've been, I've been, uh, well, I, I, cause it's one of my favorite films and you really, you guys gave it a lot of love, but it was a new film for both yeah. you and AJ. Yeah. Which was also why I was glad you had Shane on there cause he had read the books and he was like, he was steeped in Rumblefish and uh, Essie Hinton lore. And yeah. so it's always good to be able to tag in someone who's got, uh, you know, who's, it was, you know, and you, you guys went back and forth. You didn't always agree on stuff, but I, it was, it was a really, it was a really great episode. And Thank you. I, uh, if you like Rumblefish, you should check it out. And if you don't like Rumblefish, you should check it out to find out why you should. And if you haven't watched Rumblefish, <laughs> Don't feel bad because even people who've watched a ton of movies like you and AJ hadn't gotten around to yeah. it. But yeah. if you listen to this episode, you'll want to go and check it out. That's that's my recommendation. And by the time people are hearing this, you'll probably you know, you're you'll be on to you wanna you wanna hazard a guess as to what <laughs> you'll be what Coppola film will be covered in uh, the beginning of April? Tucker, Man in his dream. That's my guess. You never know. Yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan of that and its porn parody. <laughs> What's that? Fucker, a man in his cream. No. <laughs> Boo. Just had, to, just had to get our explicit rating on it. Oh, my on God. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh, now the Riot Girls really don't like you, Andras. <laughs> or maybe they do. Don't don't mansplain their feelings okay, to them. Okay, you're right. Sorry. Um, don't treat them like they're fragile flowers. You can't take a joke about porn. 
Well, I, on, I don't like you for it. I'm offended. Well, that's okay. Don't take, just, like, there's a nice movie about a man making cars. You had to turn it filthy. Come on. You're just a dude. Watch out. Jennifer Check might eat you. Uh, true. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Check out both of our podcasts. We both, we work very hard at them. And, uh, and you should check out Brian's. You should check out mine. And please write to us at uh, contact at the world is wrong podcast.com. You can contact us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast. And Brian's phone number is no, I'm not going to give that <laughs> out here. I'm sure that if that we, we messed up in our discussion of Jennifer's body. So <laughs> please feel free to correct us, enlighten us. Put us on the right path. Let us know where we got it wrong or, you know, miracle of miracles if we got it right. And again, let us know what you think we should be doing for if you have any suggestions for the Noscars. And next week, we're going to be covering a film by a guy who Jennifer Check would love to eat. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe she would reject him. Brown Bunny by Vincent Gallo. We've been talking about it. Oh boy. For months. It's time. It is finally time. This is a film also that I would probably have put up for my Oscar nominee for the year it came out. <laughs> but yeah. Not a film I'm excited. that uh that uh, would ever be nominated for an Oscar. So yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> I hope yeah. Have you seen like I'll tell you something. I've only seen Brown Bunny once because I saw it in a theater and it was such a powerful experience. I'm really looking forward to going back to it. Have you seen it multiple times? Yes, Def. I've seen it a lot. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad. So you're going to be the expert in that. I'm just going to be the one who is super excited to be having the conversation about it. You'll be the Gordon Lightfoot fan showing up to the table. Oh, yeah. I love that scene. I love so many scenes in that movie. Well, unless there's anything else we have to add. No. No? Okay. Well, then, folks, just remember, wherever you are, the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about you. It smells like Thai food in here. Have you guys been fucking? Oh, you're gross. You're gross. Oh, you're gross. You're so gross. Fuck you. <laughs> Let's go to the club. Quality Lane is not a club, it's a bar. In fact, it's not even a bar, it's like a bingo hall with taps. Eat my ass, Chip. You're just jello because you're not invited. I'm not jello? That place is disgusting. Everyone in there has a mustache. You're totally jello. You're lime green jello and you can't even admit it to yourself. Stop kidnapping my girlfriend. Chip was right. Melody Lane is definitely not a club. Clubs are for attractive people in populous urban areas. Clubs have DJs and champagne. All we have is a jukebox and a sticker toilet. You got that one right. Good job.